everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and it is Marvel Unlimited Monday. So the new comics have come out on the app, and uh, there's some good ones this week. It uh, and I, I, it always seems like when I start this podcast, I'm like, okay, what's a like a quick little thing that I can say about the comics each week? And each time, it's like, yeah, they're mostly good, or they're all great. Um, but it's it's been that sort of same thing. But that's kind of how you want it to be, right? You want your comics to be just good every single week, good to great. Um, you know, in in most cases, the ones that I'm reading, even the the worse off ones, still aren't that bad. But uh, what I've decided I'm going to do starting on this podcast is uh, just so that there's not as much confusion, maybe a little easier for people looking for um, which comics or what. I'm going to have in the description of each of these pod podcasts. Uh, which comics I will be talking about. That way you can see on there, okay, these are the ones he's going to talk about, I don't need to listen to this, or, ooh, there's one that I was wondering about. And uh, as I start, because I'm still working on trying to flesh this sort of thing out, only because I've got the um, the show, the Monday show, the Wednesday show, and then you know I'm going to have another show on Thursday as well. So I'm just trying to think of a way that I can consolidate things for you guys, that way you're not having to listen to me so often. But uh, we'll, we'll get moving on this one. So there, like I said, there were some really good ones this week. The first one is Thanos, issue number one. Now, this was a comic that I had read when it came out. I bought it for a variant cover, uh, but I didn't, like, I, I skimmed through the comic, so I didn't actually appreciate it while I was reading it, and it honestly didn't make sense to me while I was reading it, but uh, reading it a second time here on Marvel Unlimited, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm really excited to see where this is going. So, uh, this is a mini-series, it's Zero Sanctuary, part one of six, and this is written by Teeny Howard, with art by Ariel Olivetti and color art by Antonio Fabula, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So this story kind of takes place in the past. It's it's essentially a relationship story about when Thanos finds Gamora. And this kind of came out around when the uh, when Avengers Endgame was coming out. So I think there's a, a, a little bit of it was trying to capitalize on that, that and the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy had just killed off Thanos. So uh, Marvel probably still wanted to have some sort of mini-series in, in the going while uh, Thanos is not in his own um, series or any guests on any other series. But uh, this book really goes the distance to show just how brutal and uncaring Thanos is to the point where he's killing crew members along with planets of people and in doing so he's trying to he's trying to defeat in here what they're saying is his ultimate enemy the Magus. Uh, from the Universal Church of Truth, and what's interesting too is, um, obviously, you know, if you're you're not in the know, you wouldn't know. But because you guys have me, uh, apparently, whatever happens at the end of this series deals with or uh, kind of dovetails into Donny Cates' Guardians of the Galaxy series with the the young Magus that's in that. Uh, and the reason I know that is because in the most recent issue that I read, there was a Sea Thanos miniseries uh, of like something that had happened in there, one of those little reference bits. So this series does have some ramifications for the future, which makes me a little more interested while I'm reading it for sure. So his thought, Thanos' thought as well, the Magus is going around to planets, attempting to convert them, and if they don't convert, he kills them. And so Thanos' idea is, well, if they do get converted, that's more people in the Magus' army. So why don't we just go to those planets before he does and just kill everybody? 
And so, you know, it's a sound argument for sure, but it's also a very psychotic argument. But so the the issue ends with the planet that they're kind of raising is uh, Gamora's. And, you know, obviously, you know the story, her whole family's dead, she's the only one that's alive, and, and they make it out in here that she can also see death. She can see Lady Death, and so Thanos is immediately intrigued. And uh, we'll see how that plays out as the miniseries goes forward. But I'm excited reading the first issue. I, I definitely will be reading this full series. Um, next up is a War of the Realms tie-in book for Uncanny X-Men by Matthew Rosenberg, uh, drawn by Pere Perez, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettered by VCs Travis Lanham. And this is a part one of three. So it's just three issues, and it's a very straightforward and simple story. There's not a lot to talk about in this one. Essentially, the X-Men are fighting um, some bad guys, and Moonstar... Uh, feels the need. She says, I got to go. And it's because if you've been following along with War of the Realms, you you will know, if you're also following with X-Men, is that she's a, she was a Valkyrie at one point. And so Odin made the call to all the Valkyries, and so she had to go. And then the rest of the X-Men show up in New York as well, and they basically start fighting uh, the Frost Giants and all of the creatures that have now shown up. And so uh, the issue ends with them, you know, looking at the wake of all the Valkyries who had died from in War of the Realms 2. And uh, and that's kind of where it is. So nothing crazy in this. Like I said, these are that's why I don't usually buy these tie-in issues for uh, big series as they come out. And why I'd rather wait is because sometimes they're, they're really amazing and sometimes they're sort of inconsequential. I would say this one so far is probably right in the middle. But we'll find out. I'm definitely going to read the full thing. So I'll let you guys know as it's going along, you know, my thoughts on that as well. But it's it's good, and the art's good as well. It's it's certainly not a bad book. So if you're if you're like me and you want to catch all of the tie-ins as they come out, I think uh, you could do a lot worse than checking out this Uncanny X-Men one. Next up is a book that I have been looking forward to all month. Uh, this is Extremists, Age of X-Men Extremists, Issue 3. Um, we were left on quite a cliffhanger on that last issue, and things de-escalated way quicker than I thought they would. And so I'm just, as I've said many, many times reviewing this Age of X-Men series, I'm just constantly on edge when I'm reading these books. And so this is written by Leah Williams, art by uh, Jorge Gianti, with inks by Roberto Poggi, and color art by Jim Charlampetus with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So if you guys remember where we left off was uh, Blob had um, shared his secret feelings for uh, for Psylocke. And so she kind of climbed up on the table, approached him, who knows what was going to happen, and nothing really happens. She says, okay, she says, does it still hurt? And in reference to, you know, him being in pain that he, you know, he doesn't want to give up his feelings for her and forget her. And he says, yes. And she says, okay, see you tomorrow, Freddy. And like hops off the table and leaves. So it, it de-escalated very fast. It looks like they're just going to be friends now, which is awesome and completely unexpected. I thought she was going to wipe his mind. But like I said, either way would have been fine with me. And I can see they're taking this into an interesting realm now. Uh, Blob is really uh, letting Monet have it, because or Manetta. She is just so annoying. She is the worst person right now she likes torturing people she's trying to instigate violence and throughout this whole issue she just keeps pushing the team further and further till the very end where uh, in a little bit of spoilers she gets kicked off the team by blob himself because they um she's like oh there's a resistance and they're like what are you talking about she's like i'll prove it to you 
and she has them go to, she anonymously calls in a tip to them about a meeting of the resistance. They go there, and these people who are actually the resistance, they're just like essentially having like a book club. Like they're just hanging out. They have no weapons. They're not trying to start anything, and, and the extremists bust in there and start something, and they're like, we've got to get out of here. Like this is not good. This is not what we were supposed to be doing uh, Manetta, you are done. Like, this is insane that you would go this far to do this sort of thing. And so that part, I really enjoyed. Not only that, we got to see, uh, Psylocke and Blob hang out again, and they got a really powerful, they shared a really powerful story with each other to the point that, um, I don't even want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil that piece of it because it was really well written, but I'm just really enjoying this series. And I, even at the end of this, um, it's like, I just, I want more. I want to read more of this. I want to find out what's going to happen to these extremists, even though I know in two issues, it's going to, it's just, it's not going to matter anyway, right? It's all going to get, it's going to be disappeared into the new dawn of X. So it's, it's nice to be able to enjoy it in the meantime, but I really, really like that one. I would highly recommend it. Uh, Star Wars, Vader, Dark Visions, issue three of three. This is by, uh, and I, I figured, I found this out guys. I, I did some Googling. And I think I may have mentioned this on another podcast, but Dennis Hopeless Hallam is Dennis Hopeless. He Hopeless is a pen name, and so his real name is Dennis Hallam. And recently, he decided that he doesn't want to go by his pen name anymore, so he's using his real name but keeping the pen name in the middle so people can kind of understand that that's who it is and that's why. Uh, so I'm assuming eventually he'll just be Dennis Hallam again. But uh, confirmed, yes, he's not hopeless. He's very hopeful, and that's clear by the books that he's writing. So this is part three of five by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by David Lopez and Javi Pina and then colors by Mounsa Vicente and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is just another entry into a really interesting series, guys. This miniseries, each one of them, is it's anthology. So each one of these stories is essentially a one-shot. And this one is just, a, you know, essentially this series is about how people perceive Darth Vader. What legacy has he left behind for those that he impacts? Like we've seen, you know, he goes to save a planet by killing this giant beast. People think he's a savior when we know he's a killer. And vice versa. People, um, well, and then this one's really interesting. So this entire one is about a the medic on the Death Star, the medic's assistant, who uh, is, a, is a female, and she is in love with Darth Vader just because of everything that she's done. So she's kind of crazy in that regard. Like, she's... It's pretty wild. And so it actually goes to a really, in my opinion, funny conclusion because Darth Vader acts exactly how Darth Vader would act, even though the entire story is she's building up this narrative in her head of, oh, he's going to be with me. He, you know, we're in love. She keeps, like, little keepsakes of his. It was kind of creepy, actually, but... Still, overall amazing story with a perfect ending to where it was tied up in a very nice, neat little bow. I uh, I won't reveal what that is because I have a feeling you guys are going to want to check this one out because of that. It's just it's super interesting, and I I uh, I'm really looking forward to the next one. I'm glad I'm glad we still have two more issues to enjoy. Uh, next up is Black Widow issue number four. This is the No Restraints play. Uh, you could call it a mini series, but I think it's only five issues. They're only doing five issues, uh, and then um, 
I think it's going to say it on here too. No, no, it doesn't. Whatever. Uh, written by Jen and Sylvia Soska, with art by Flaviano, color art by Veronica Gandhi, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So we catch up right after we left off last time. Black Widow is tied up and about to be displayed on camera for this No Restraints play thing, but in classic Black Widow fashion, I probably even said it in the podcast, guys, you know she's not going to be tied to that chair for very long. And nope, she absolutely isn't. And so the whole entire rest of the issue is her absolutely beating the crud and the crap out of all of these bad guys, which was absolutely great to see. And so by the end of this issue, you would think that things were tied up in a neat little bow, but um, but they're not. They're not. Something happens at the very end of this issue that I was not expecting at all, and I don't really know where it's going to leave people because I'm, I'm 95% sure that this is a five-issue miniseries, so there's only one more issue after this. And so then that means there'll be a second wrap-up in that issue after they inevitably survive what's going to happen in this issue uh, but who knows? Maybe they don't. And if that's the case, I can't wait to read this final issue. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. So um, it was very interesting. It's It truly was just a full-on action sequence for almost the entire issue, which was really nice to see. I love seeing Black Widow fight and um, you know utilize her surroundings in that sort of regard. So that, that made it a really enjoyable issue. Also, a surprise, uh, a surprise uh, front runner for this week's best comic, Marvel Comics Presents number four, issue number four. Again, three stories. The first one is by Charles Sewell with pencils by Paolo Sicaria, with inks by Oren Jr. and Frank, or color art by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is part four of the vigil. So we're now in the 70s. And uh, Sylvie who, if we all remember, um, slept with Wolverine in the last issue back in the past, and uh, looks like they've kind of just been moving on. She's with a new guy now, and she's trying to explain to him, like, they're basically married. They're, they've got rings on. But uh, she's like, you know, I, I love you now. Trust me. Like, I, I just I have to go save the world, and it just so happens to be with Wolverine sort of thing. Like, so he, it sounds like he knows. And so when Wolverine, when she shows up, he's like, hey, do you want to talk about things? And she's like, nope, we've got to go fight this guy. And then we learned that during this time period as well, this is when Wolverine got his adamantium in his claws. Uh, there's a little bit of a comment about that. And by the end of this short story, where does it leave them? Oh, right. So they defeat the demon, just like always. But the, the like portal to take the demon away is still there, and it sucks Sylvie into the portal, so she disappears. So does that mean she's going to be gone for the next 10 years? I'm not sure. I don't know. But Wolverine seems kind of shocked by it, and I'm really looking forward to see where this goes because, um, like I said, if it was just going to be a battle every single week, I would have been a little upset by it. But it's sort of being a battle, but they're having very creative ways of making it a little more than the battle each time, and so we're, we're getting there. Uh, but what was more interesting, in my opinion, is the second story about Spider-Man by Daniel Kibblesmith, with art by Perry Perez, colors by R- Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is called May the 25th Be With You, featuring Spider-Man. Uh, and it says on here in the beginning, guys, so get ready, it says, The Cultural Force of Star Wars. On May 25th, 1977, Star Wars was released in fewer than three dozen cinemas with minimal studio promotion. Oh, this is actually really cool. That's cool to know. And immediately broke box office records, drawing enormous crowds. Yeah, no no question. And uh, But this story is about Peter Parker waiting in line to go see Star Wars. 
And it's the coolest little story. It's a very, very short story. And there's a surprise appearance by the Gibbon in this story, guys. So if you're fans of the Gibbon, if you were, if you thought that he didn't get the justice that he deserved in the Amazing Spider-Man hunted uh, Gibbon one-shot, then this may be your comic for you. He's not in it very often, very long, but uh, it's just cool to see him in it. And then also to see some very cool pop culture references by Star, uh, by Spider-Man. And the ending is just perfect. Just how I would imagine Peter Parker watching Star Wars for the first time. Or does he get to watch Star Wars for the first time? Uh, we'll see. You're going to have to check out the comic. But the third one is even more interesting, and that's why I... Uh, I liked it so much. This is a Moon Knight story. It says, The Book of Dreams, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Juan Ferreira, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So this is a very short story. It's just it's just about Moon Knight when he's in. He's got the mask on, the Moon Knight mask, the one that uh, was it Warren Ellis kind of popularized. But uh, it's a very short story. But the, what what is so interesting about this story is the just the way that Benjamin Percy writes and the art. The art is very uh, painting esque. So if you if you love that beautiful type of art, check this out. And then like I said, Benjamin Percy just does a really good job at mincing words and um, mincing them very deliciously. I might add, it's a it's a really good read. Next up is The Superior Spider-Man, issue number five. Uh, This is by Christos Gage, with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, and inks by Ro Von Grawbadger and Andy Owens, with colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. So, as you guys, we left off, Superior Spider-Man is going on a date with uh, this new new flame of his, who I'm going to have to... um, doesn't say her name in this spot but uh, it's not Anna Maria um yeah it doesn't say but so he's going to or her name is Emma I'll find out her last name as I'm buzzing through this but she is older than he is and she makes a point to explain it sometimes but so uh, Anna Maria before the date is like hey you need to understand if she's like questions you at all or if this ends up becoming anything more serious than it is right now you need to be honest with her like you need to tell her that you're Otto Octavius because um, she's just going to leave you like, I know this, like you used to be Spider-Man, you know, all this, like you got to do it. And he's like, I understand. So he's having his little spider bots make dinner for her and him and Emma and essentially shares with him. Yeah. He says that, uh, you know, I'm Otto Octavius and then explains everything to him that he's Spider-Man, whatever. And she's like, uh, is that the bathroom? And, oh, and this, this part was funny. I just got to share it in terms of the, she's like, uh, can I bring up the elephant in the room? He's like elephant. She's like the age difference. He's like, of course, I assure you, it's of no consequence. She's like, really? Because if this is just working out some old crush on your teacher or something, what I'm saying is my marriage ended when I learned my ex-husband had been lying to me about so many things. I'm not high maintenance, but I do need honesty. And he's, she, and so he's like, okay, I'm going to tell her. And uh, they have drinks, dinner, dessert. He tells her, and she's like, uh, is that where the bathroom is? He's like, yep, and she leaves. And then he jumps down onto the street, and she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God officers over here and uh, she's like i'm gonna be the woman on the true crime podcast where everyone says how did she not know and then he jumps down in his spider-man outfit he's like emma can we discuss this please she's like wait you really are that spider guy the one who saved the city she's like you're a super villain that's the reason you let a team of villains called the sinister six he's like no 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 you don't understand like we were trying to be ironic we were being we were trying to troll he's like bro please this is cringe 
And so, uh, and then it kind of just, it gets pretty crazy from there. And so I won't spoil anything more on that end, but just to know that a very, um, a new status quo, definitely for some of the people in San Francisco, uh, there's a new alien in town. It's actually the, that's not a spoiler. It's the alien from the end of the last issue. What is cool is Dr. Strange shows up in this one and it's not because he's just in the neighborhood. Superior Spider-Man calls him. And the the exchange that him and Doctor Strange have is just so good. From one cocky person to another, uh, this book it's worth the price of admission on this book alone. So I, I've this is one of the most underrated books I think that I've been reading in a while. I love this Superior Spider-Man book. I love the concept, and uh, I love the direction it's going. So I'm really excited to see where this next series or this next issue takes us. It's, it says next two doctors, um, so that part's interesting. And then. Um, I've got uh, Fantastic Four issue number nine. So this is uh, the what I'm assuming is the final one. It's the Judgment of Doom, outside the box by Dan Slott with art by Aaron Cooter, Stefano Caselli, and Paco Medina. Color art by Eric Arcianega and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So. Uh, this wraps up the Von Doom storyline, sort of. Obviously, we're never going to be done with Doom, but uh, of course, all of the Fantastic Four. And I, I got to say this, guys, I've, I I love the Fantastic Four. I've been really enjoying reading it, but this issue was an incredible cop out. And they they jo- you hear people joke about this all the time. The whole idea that oh, you know, the only way that comics can survive is that they get a huge new status quo, a huge new relaunch. And by the end of that status quo and relaunch, it's the writer's job to make it back to the status quo before that change. So for example, Venom Venom is now, you know, Donnie Cates has, and this is where I say it's not true, because Donnie Cates has written Venom now to be this giant space, like, epic, where in the beginning it was like, oh, it was just a suit of Spider-Mans, whatever. And now it's like, no, Venom, you are a part of this giant structure of symbiotes that were created by this the god of the symbiotes who has like tendrils and connections to many different things in the marvel universe that's that's good storytelling bad storytelling would be um oh here's a perfect one would be captain america getting shot in issue 25 of ed brubaker's uh captain america dying having that be announced on the news i'm no kidding not kidding you i remember when where i was watching the news when the, Joe Casada was on the news talking about the death of Captain America. And then, not even kidding you, there was a miniseries, Captain America Reborn. It was six issues, and boom, Captain America's back. And it's like, okay, well then, how can you make that death mean anything? And um, this Fantastic Four issue is another good example of when that happens. So, if you guys remember, the whole premise of this story was that Victor Von Doom had been kind of like sick of messing around and captured Galactus and was going to utilize the power cosmic for his people, for the world. And obviously, obviously, there are a ton of horrible connotations to that. There's probably a ton of bad things that he would have ended up doing. But that's the power of good storytelling. I would have loved to have seen what bad things would have happened. I would have loved to have seen what new status quo would have happened. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you move forward? Well, in some comics, the only way to move forward is to go back. And that's what happens in Fantastic Four. So all every, and I'm going to go full spoilers on this one because I just don't feel the need to, to hide anything. So all of the Fantastic Four escape their holdings that Dr. Doom said were impenetrable and couldn't be broken. And then, uh, we find out that, um, 
uh, Franklin is hanging out with that weird friend that we were talking about in the last issue. Like, what's going on with her? She's got these little demons that she's she controls. So they're chasing after Franklin as he leaves. And so we've got two stories going on. We've got the Fantastic Four escaping, and we have the um, Aunt Petunia and her husband and Alicia and uh, Franklin and Valeria and I think Wyatt Wingfoot, they're all traveling, like running away from these demons, trying to get to the Fantastic Four, sort of, or just trying to get to safety. And so at this point, you know, they escape, they make a mockery of doom, and that part was cool. Everyone in the world is laughing at him, like, ha, 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 like the the king has, the master has no clothes, the king the king has no clothes, whatever the, the phrase is. But uh, by the end of it, they reverse everything, they save Galactus. They use the exact same things that Doom used to get Galactus to free him. He's freed. He he destroys all of the um, the infrastructure that Doom had created to harness the power cosmic and turns that into like a new ship and flies away. And then um, Franklin and Valeria teleport these demons into Dooms uh, into Latveria while simultaneously teleporting the Fantastic Four out of Latveria. And they also depower Victorious so that she's a normal person now. So literally, we are right back to square one at the beginning of this series, which is good for some, uh, but in the words of Aunt Petunia and the final piece of this thing, you should all go home. And uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling about this. I, I'm just, I don't know. Fantastic Four had been gone for so long. And Dan Slott is such a good writer in my eyes. I really, really enjoyed what he did on um, Amazing Spider-Man. But I'm just not enjoying this Fantastic Four series. I, I'm enjoying it as a, as a book to read for fun. But that's not, most of the time, that's not what I'm looking for in Fantastic Four. I'm looking for high-concept sci-fi. I'm looking for, kind of, honestly, the stuff that Hickman did with Fantastic Four. And they've kind of turned this into just like a, a sitcom family drama in the sense of, uh, you know, oh, but at the end of the season, everything is, is going to change. And at the beginning of season two, everything just goes back to where things were. So... Uh, I don't know. I, obviously, I'm going to keep reading it because there's there's more comics in, in the future that I'm interested, especially now the next tie-in is for War of the Realms. So the next issue is about War of the Realms. So I'll keep reading it. I'm just saying if I could wave a magic wand, I would ask for that creative team to step up their game a little bit. And uh, next up, Doctor Strange, issue number 13. So that's funny. We had Doctor Strange in a prior issue and Galactus in a prior issue, and they're both in this one. This is the Herald Supreme, part two. Uh, storytellers Barry Kitson and Mark Wade finishes by Scott Koblish and Scott Hanna colors by Brian Reber letters by VCs Corey Petit so uh, this is just following in the footsteps of the final of the last issue Galactus is in the magic world I guess you could say trying to devour things and Doctor Strange is trying to stop him explaining to him like this is poison to you you should not be eating this and it's funny it's like he's a big kid or something but uh, tries to stop him, doesn't work. All of a sudden, these giant, like, immortal-type demons start fighting Galactus. He destroys all of them, too. Doctor Strange is like, holy cow, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this because those demons were more powerful than I am. All of a sudden, out of the blue, he gets some assistance by Clea and uh, also uh, one other person who's actually the sister of Dormammu was not expecting that, Umar, Queen of the Dark Dimension. And so they kind of have a plan. Okay, this is how we'll get Galactus out. And he's like, cool, let's try it. And so they go, and Galactus still won't leave. And so Doctor Strange, in all his infinite wisdom, says, you know what, fine, I will be your herald. 
I will go and find you things that you can eat. And so you get the classic, oh, you know, don't do it from Clea. Like, oh, you're going to regret this. And Doctor Strange is like, have you seen my comics? I regret everything. Like everything I do just exhausts me. He doesn't say that in the book. I'm saying that because I've been reading Doctor Strange and everything that he does seems to exhaust him. He's like constantly exerting himself to the nth degree to try and make things right. And so kudos to him. But at some point, a guy's got to rest. We get a little bit about Dormammu too. So I think there may be a conversation or a confrontation about Dormammu towards, uh, you know, with Galactus. But the issue literally just ends with a demon. Uh, Doctor Strange is trying to find a world. And this demon in one of the worlds is like, ha ha ha, like you're never going to find a world that doesn't have any life on it. Like you're going to have to get your hands dirty. And he's right. He's 100% right. And that's kind of how it goes when you're working as a herald of Galactus. But um, yeah, so uh, in regards to that, there are a couple of other ones that I read as they came out. I'm not going to review them on here, but just as a heads up, Venom issue 13, Avengers issue 18, and Amazing Spider-Man issue 20 all came out this week, along with a couple of other comics as well that if you're in the mood for, check them out. But those are all the reviews for this Marvel Unlimited Monday. So uh, for all of us here at Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy reading these comics.